One's from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really. All right, we got a hot, hot podcast coming up. Dusty performs at the Grand Old Opry. Hannah goes to Miami, Oklahoma. I'm Hannah Hogan. I'm Dusty Slay. This, this is, is the, the We're, We're Having, Having a, a Good, Good Time, Time podcast. podcast. All right. Here we are. So we're having a good time. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up. Um, yeah. And I, but yes, uh, tonight I'm going to go down to Tuscaloosa. Uh, but this weekend I'm doing the Grand Old Opry. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Now, now, can we just assume everybody knows what the Grand Old Opry is? I think so. I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, the Grand Old Opry is the great. Stage for country music and has been, uh, you know, since the beginning of time. The Grand Ole Opry is really what makes Nashville Nashville. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's what put Nashville on the map. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's where, you know, I used to play on the radio back in the day and all the great country music artists could hear it. People could hear it on AM stations across the country. So they could tune in and listen to the Grand Ole Opry. And it was, they used to have comedy and they still have a little comedy and they will have some... Uh, this weekend, but it's like, uh, it's very exciting. Let's go ahead and get into the oh, where we've been, where we're going. Where they going? Where they been? Where they going? Where, where they been? Where we're going, where we've been. Hannah, why don't you go ahead and say where you're going this weekend? Where I'm going? Where you been? Where I've been. Where you been? Where you want to be talking about? Where you been? Where I've been? Yeah. Oh, boy, wouldn't you like to know? Yeah, where you been? Wouldn't you like to know? Okay, so I was actually, I had a really fun weekend. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. They have a new improv comedy club there in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it was gorgeous. I mean, I thought I was performing at really nice clubs, but <laughs> then I went to the Raleigh improv, and I was like, wow. Brand new. Yeah. Brand new club, and it is so nice. It's built like a theater. It's beautiful, and you know when I walked out there with some full uh, audience, it was really like when you walk out on the stage and you just see this line of of audience in front of you. It's really uh, takes your breath away. Yeah, my my management company owns that uh, comedy club, so it's very exciting because yeah. I like Raleigh. Um, and you know what? I had nothing against good nights, but I wasn't getting any stage time there. So it's exciting because I like that area. I want to go there more often. So now that my management company owns that club, it's very exciting. Well, the joke that I kept saying is, welcome to, uh, the, welcome to the Raleigh Improv in Cary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's actually in a town called Cary, right. which is adjacent to Raleigh. Uh, and I learned that Cary is a very big tech city. A lot of tech people and a lot of Yankees moved down there. So Carrie, damn <laughs> Yankees. They joked with me. This is a fun little joke. Like Carrie, which is an abbreviation for. Uh, oh, I forget it. Okay, 
I forget it. Dang. But something about a relocation center for Yankees. Huh. Yeah. I wrote it down, but uh, I don't have my notebook on me right now, so that's a really oh, that's empty. It's a, a really empty anecdote. But I was in Raleigh because I was opening for Arsenio Hall. That's exciting, and that was very fun. And so um, I didn't really. You usually don't really get any information about gigs like until like the week of, <laughs> if not like five minutes before you go on stage. But um, I was in in uh, conversation with uh, Corey Raleigh's or Corey Arsenio's assistant. And he had given me a heads up that it was a two-person show, so it was just myself and Arsenio. And uh, I was, oh, no. Is that the guy cutting the grass? Oh, it is. There's a weed eater out. We're just going to have to do it, though. Yeah, this is going to be a wild podcast. So anyway, so it was a two-person show, and um, Corey, Arsenio's assistant, also told me that uh, it's protocol for Arsenio to not show up to the club until I'm already on stage. So... um, the show would begin. I would go out there. I would welcome the audience. I would do my th- thing for 30 minutes. And then I would bring up Mr. Arsenio Hall. Now, what I didn't realize was that in between first and second show, uh, Arsenio left the club and went to his hotel to change and just chill before each show. Um, so I actually never met Arsenio Hall except for shaking his hand on stage. I, I didn't, you know, didn't have any tete-a-tete with him um, before or after shows. I thought maybe he would, you know, stick around at the at, at the end of Saturday night show, but I never got any uh, conversation with him. And I don't think it was personal. I think that's just the way that he rolls. Uh, perhaps I, I I think because he's been famous forever, he just doesn't know if his feature is going to be some weird vampire, you know? So yeah, you remember that's how Dominique did when I opened for her in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Well, kind of. Did she leave in between first and second show? Oh yeah, totally. Oh, interesting. She was never hanging around, and she but would. She was in the audience because I remember being in the audience, right. and she was sitting with her friend having a drink, watching you but on that, stage. That was because it was a weird green room situation. Oh. Like she did. I'm not saying anything bad about Dominique. She was fine. I, I didn't mind her. I liked her a lot actually. But uh, no, she would show up, and you remember it was a two person show, and I would call her up to the stage. I would go, "All right, get ready for Dominique." And then, like, hopefully, <laughs> she would like be back there stirring her yeah, drink, yeah. you know. And then, I, and then music would play. And I like the first time I was like, should I stand up here and wait for her? And then after the first time, I just would I would introduce her, and then I would just leave the stage. I was like, I, I, it took her like five minutes to get there. You know what? I always think of that. I always think of of Dominique's sort of routine that she had because I was always sitting behind her because I was just your girlfriend at the back of the room and she was sitting at the back of the room with her friend and she did the same thing every time you'd bring her up her music would start playing she's still sitting there she's still sitting there she's just kind of starting to vibe to the music and what she would do every single time is she would take like a big gulp of her liquor and then she would wash it down with with what I'm assuming was water and then she would just kind of really slowly kind of start waddling in one spot and just kind of dancing. And then she would slowly start to make her way to the stage. So I feel like that's just like a part of like the routine that some standups have is like, this is how I, I'm not going to rush to the stage. The people can wait for me. You know, this is how I get in the zone. I take my little shot. I take my little water, I wash it down and then I, and then I bring it. So I, but I'm not privy to what Arsenio did. I, I noticed there was always a little bit of like a dirty martini in the green room, um, when I would come into the green room. So I'm thinking maybe he took like a sip of that because it was always pretty still full. 
Um, so that was really interesting because I've never worked with a headliner that that I never actually talked to somehow. Ari Spears would always smoke a half cigarette in the green room uh, before going up mm-hmm. because I would be in the green room. He wouldn't be in there. I would be hanging out. I would go up, do my thing, and then when I came back to the green room – it was like so cloudy, and like a cigarette would just be in some drink or some plate, you know. And it's just like, just always the weirdest thing because it wasn't a whole cigarette, just a little bit of it, just enough to fill the room with cigarette smoke. Well, the longer I do this, the more common that is to see the idiosyncrasies of headliners or other comedians and what they need to do. Like sometimes I think people's routine happens before they get to the club. So, you know, they show up and you just think, oh, they're chilling, they're relaxed, and then they just go on stage. But you don't know what they were doing before. Right. You know, and then some of them, I mean, it's right in front of you. Like my routine is I like to be in the hotel room watching a conspiracy video thinking that the world is about to collapse. And then I go. Let's go do some comedy. <laughs> Is that what you always do? You well, always watching videos? I don't know what to do. I mean, like, you know, when you don't drink, you don't, you know, I'm like, I'm just kind of hanging out. I used to like to have cigars before, but cigars seem to really drain my energy. So yeah. I don't like a cigar before a show. I'll do one after, but I, it just seems to really drain my energy. Oh, um, I When I smoke cigarettes, because I'm like a seasonal smoker, not that I'm proud of it, but that's just how it's played out in my adult life. Man, when I smoke cigarettes, I just chain smoke, and oh, it just yeah. steals the energy from me. I mean, oh, yeah. it's just I'm just depleted by the time I get on stage. Yeah, I think it's uh, Killer Bees. He has a thing like before. I forget exactly what it is, but it's like when that when they call his name uh, to come on stage, he has a little count. He like when they say, "All right, Killer Bees," he's like, "All right, one, two, three, go!" Yeah. Right? It's like don't go out right away like you're too eager. But I'm yeah. too eager. I'm ready to go. I'm like, let's get me up there. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was working with Gary Goleman, I think we did four or five shows. Several times I'm introducing him. I'm like, this is his credits. And then I'm like saying his name and he's literally already standing at me, basically pushing me out of the way. Yeah, like he yeah. could not wait to get on stage. Yeah. I'm like, all right, dude, I'm just trying yeah. to introduce you here. But he's like, get off stage. It's my turn. But I think like that's the thing. I remember I I went on a road trip with a uh, with a comedian a couple of years ago and we were really good friends at the time. And we ended up having a big blow up on that uh, road trip and we were no longer friends. But one of the things she said to me was like, you're really controlling. And that really hit me hard. And I think that that's true. But I also think now that I've had so much experience seeing other comedians, I mean, so much is out of your control when you're on stage that you do need to to get as much control. I think some people need to be able to have their own routines so that they're able to do this really bizarre job that we do on stage. Right. And that's also why you can't necessarily travel with people that are such your good friends yeah. because it's like, uh, maybe I am controlling, but there is an aspect of me that needs to be controlling. Yeah. Like I, I think that I'm like that too. I mean, I want things. It's very frustrating to me when I'm at a club and you know, I like a standard, you know, either one person, like a two-man show, or a three-person show. I hate it when I show up at the club and there's like long, like a long hosting set, a guest, guest spot, spots. a feature, where it's like, okay, this is, this is too much. Like, I need to do a show, and I need the audience to not be wore out by the time I get up there. The people I mean, are here to see. on weekends are just gross. Yeah, it's like the audience is here to see me, and let's not... Uh, you know, let's not give them too much of other stuff before I come up there. I used to hate the two man show when I was a feature, but now as a headliner, I really understand it, and I'm like, oh no, this is I like that. This weekend, 
where I was at was in where were you at, Dusty? E- Erie, Pennsylvania at Junior's Last Laugh. Had a great time there and uh, had a, a feature Stephen Rogers. And the, the owner of the club, Junior, would go up and do maybe three minutes and be like, just introduce Steve. So it's enough to break it up to where Steve's not the first person on stage. But then Stephen would come up, do 15, 20 minutes, and then I would go up and do an hour. And it was great. It's the perfect setup. Stephen was very funny. Stephen Rogers, not Stephen Rogers on Instagram. That's his handle. And uh, uh, he's very funny, and I liked him a lot. And um, But we had a great show. I mean, it's like, but if but if it had been, you know, a host does 10 minutes, then a guest spot does five, and then Stephen does 30, now we're at 45 minutes, and I'm like, okay, let's get into it. Let me get on up there. That's why, like, when I first started headlining, I'm like, ooh, I want to do 45 because I was nervous about jumping up so much time. But now I'm like, no, I'd rather do an hour than. Well, also, you know, headliners, a lot of headliners bring their own feature. And then the club uh, chooses an appropriate host for those for the headliners. So there's a real alchemy with choosing a lineup for a weekend show or any show. You know, so if if so, when I see clubs just throwing in random hosts or throwing in random guest spots, it can really mess up the chemistry of the show. And I think that you know there's that that that's important. Like the, the headliner picks their feature for a reason. Right. And you know, if the headliner doesn't bring their own feature, but makes certain requests about the type of comedian that they want to, uh, uh, precede them, you know, that I think that that's important and you can really see and feel the difference when you see a show that has been calculated and thought about in terms of its lineup versus, you know, a club that's like, Oh, this is my buddy. Uh, he drinks a lot, uh, and, and hangs out here a lot. So he's going to do five minutes and, Spend half of it being like, what do you guys want to talk right. about? And a guest spot, like this this Thursday, I'm going to go to Zany's. I'm going to do a guest spot. I'm going to do a 10-minute guest spot at Zany's. And that's because my management will be in town who doesn't live here. My A lot of my agents will, you know, my ag- from the agency will be here. And so it's like it is my home club, and it feels a little weird to go. But it's still, I'm still doing a guest spot on a Thursday night, and I'm working on something. I'm practicing something. So those kind of guest spots are always fine. I'm always okay with someone that's like, hey, I'm working on a thing. Can you give me a guest spot? If time allows. I mean, if the show's already too packed, you know, there's nothing you can do. But if if time allows, yes, please come work on your thing. Or or if you're like, hey, I don't live in this city and I'm trying to get in with a club, do you mind if I do a guest spot? That's okay. But if you're just hanging out and you're just doing a guest spot, you're not working on new jokes, you're not doing anything new, you're just taking up time of the show, it's like n- nobody wants that. Right, but I feel like Zany's has a pretty strict no guest spot totally. policy unless like the headliner requests it, right? right? And I think that that's a really good rule. So this week you're an exception to the rule because of your relationship with the club and something that you're working on, you know? Um, and so that's cool. I mean, there should always be, you know, exceptions like that, but it shouldn't, you know, to me, get one guest spot. Who's a good comic. Great. But two guest spots on a weekend, get out of here. Who are you living for? What's your life? But I just want to say before we move on from this, but, uh, JR's juniors, juniors is what he figured out. It was juniors. Juniors. Okay. Uh, uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, that's a great club. I mean, we had some stuff stacked against us this weekend, but you know, we did two shows and they were sold out, uh, so it was great. But you know, we, we we were supposed to do at least four shows, you know, but you had like this polar vortex rolled in, so it was super cold, super snowy, 
And then you had uh, Sebastian Maniscalco was in town on Thursday, and they say that it's already a small population of comedy fans. So all of the everybody went to see him. And then Super Bowl was on Sunday. So he said that's their slowest week of the year. Mm. So had a lot stacked against him. So we still had two sold out shows and it was awesome. I loved oh, it. Good, Dusty. And I have a video on my YouTube channel. If you just go type in Dusty Slay on YouTube, you'll find my channel. Go ahead and subscribe to it because I'm going to be posting a lot of new stuff. And I got I got four videos on there where I track kind of my travels of where I'm going. Actually, I have five now where I track the travels. And my newest one, uh, it's on the road to Erie, Pennsylvania. And just check that out. It's a 15-minute video, but it kind of gives you a rundown of me getting to Erie, uh, me doing radio, morning TV, a little bit of the show, a little bit of the after show, and then getting back home. Uh, I just feel like it's a little inside baseball for, for you on that. And I think it's fun. I think it's funny. Yeah, that's great, babe. Yeah, so check that out. Also, uh, my Instagram, at Dusty Slay. I got a lot of stuff coming to that. I got a lot of stuff on there already. I'm going to do more and more. What I love about your social media is it really gives people a vibe of what you're like to hang out with. And and if you're wondering what that is, Dusty's chill. He's a good time. Sometimes he's he's like, you know what, hon? Let's go out and have a good time and take a stroll through Walmart. You know? Yeah. Sometimes we'll just go out and we'll just go to department stores and play around with things. Yeah, yesterday we went to Best Buy. We went to Bed Bath & Beyond. I, it, it got wild and it got fun. We went one other boat. We went to Dick's. <laughs> yeah. We bought some We things. got ourselves some water bottles. Yeah, yeah. We, we bought, did. bought ourselves a super cheap Roku uh-huh. for 30 bucks so I can watch YouTube in the bedroom. You I know gifted what I meant? you something a little special too. Hannah got me a robe so I can be resort dusty anytime. I did. I got him a robe because I have a robe and I enjoy my robe. And then I saw how much Dusty enjoyed his robe and how he turned into Resort Dusty when we were in uh, Charleston the other week. And so I thought, you know what? This man should have Resort Dusty at his beck and call whenever he wants. That's right. And I did that for him. So this week, Mm. we're going to go tonight. uh, We're going to go to Tuscaloosa and Mm. do a show. Uh, if you, uh, that info is on my website. Uh, we're going to be down there doing it. I didn't bring up my phone, so I don't have the actual place that we're at. You know the place? It's no, a brewery in Tuscaloosa. It's going to be very fun. It is going to be fun. Hannah's going to feature. I'm going to headline. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, feature is a loose word since there's about four guest spots before you. Yeah, but it, that's what it's going to be. Uh-huh. So, and then Thursday night, I'll be at Zany's doing a, you know, just a short spot on the Ali Sadiq show, which is, uh, he's a, I haven't seen him, but... Everybody raves about him. Yeah. Apparently, he's really great. Mm. But then Saturday, I'm going to be performing. San- Saturday, February 9th, I'll be performing at the Grand Old Opry. And as a country music lover, uh, I can't tell you how excited I am. I mean, John Conley will be on the show. That name doesn't mean a lot to uh, me. New, new country fans. To me. To Hannah. But you know, remember that song I played? Actually you? sounds like the racist governor from Alabama, really. John Wallace? No, sorry. Okay. That's sorry yeah. That's not. That's not even John Wallace. It's so, uh, yeah. It's, okay. Uh, it's George Wallace. Okay. I don't so know what. John Conley and George Wallace had not, the same energy, but I'm really sorry I attached the two. Yeah, not even close. Oh, but all right. When I played you that song, Common Man, I'm just a common man, drive a common van. My dog ain't got a pet. Agree. You remember that song? Yeah. He says. Uh, I don't know. It's a great song, but he that's John Connolly. Okay. So he'll be there. I mean, that's a great tune. And then Old Crow Medicine Show that sings, Rock me mama like a wagon wheel, amongst 
other oh, really great songs. They will be there. That is a fun song yeah. to just dance to. They'll be there. Wasted at a ball. Uh, there's other people that'll be there that I'm very excited about. Tracy Lawrence was on the schedule earlier, but he's gone now. I'm mm-hmm. a little bummed about that. You bumped him, maybe. Because I wanted to talk to him about the country song Time Marches On, but probably best that they don't need me fanboying out back there. But, you know, uh, I'm excited. So, and then Hannah, you're going to go out to. Miami, Oklahoma. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm going to be headlining uh, this weekend at the Looney Saloon in Miami, Miami, Oklahoma. Shows are at 8 p.m. each night. And uh, my friend and hilarious comedian Benton Ray is going to be featuring. So Nashville's coming to town, to Miami. It's my first visit to any kind of Miami. And, you know, it feels right that it's in Oklahoma, given my life the last few years. Yeah. So, um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Come out to that show. Uh, Miami, Oklahoma, it's going to be a good time, and uh, yeah. All information is on our website at hannahogancomedy.com. All information about my show is on my website at dustyslay.com. Check those out. And now we have, um, let's go um, Let's go on the road. Let's just jump right into that. You're on the road again. Hannah and Dusty are on the road again. Telling super funny jokes to all their friends. And I'm still on the road again. Yeah! On the road, we got just a little thing. Um, because uh, when I left, and this is on the video that I have on YouTube, so if you want to check that out. But on the way home, the, when I left Erie, Pennsylvania, that night I was at the hotel. The club told me, they said, hey, we got you a, a, a shuttle set up to go from the hotel to the airport at 5 in the morning. Now, my flight takes off at 6, and they tell me that my shuttle's leaving at 5. I'm like, that makes me nervous. But they're like, it's okay because the pilots of the plane will be on that shuttle with you. And I was like, okay, great. If the pilots are on there, no big deal. So I go before I go into my room that night, I go to the front desk, and I say, hey, I just want to check. The club told me they had me down for a shuttle. I just want to make sure you have it. The guy working the front desk opens the logbook, flips to it. It shows the pilot's name. It shows my name. He says, yep, got you down for the shuttle at 5 a.m. Great. So I don't arrange any of my own uh, transportation there. I'm like, this is fine. I got it. I go to bed. I wake up at 4.30, get up, shower, make a little video. I'm feeling good. I'm in the elevator. The elevator opens up. I go down, the elevator opens up, there's the two there's two men in pilot uniforms, and I thought, I, I'm just half asleep. And I'm like, oh, I make the joke like, oh, I didn't know anybody else was up this time of morning, you know, and then I get off the elevator. But then I realize I'm on floor two. So I'm like, oh, so then I take both of my bags and get back on the elevator. You're already and bombing. Now I'm in this awkward situation with the pilots that I'm about to be on a shuttle with. And I'm like, oh, I was like, I think I'm going to be on the shuttle with you to the airport. And I'm sure they're like, great. And then we get off. We're walking down through. I go to get a little coffee. Another pilot's getting a little coffee. We have a little weird thing where we're each reaching for a sleeve. And it's like, oh, no, you go. You you go. And then it's like, okay. So I go out there. There's a flight attendant down there as well. She's about to get on the shuttle too. I walk outside. There is a cab, a yellow cab. They're all getting in the cab. And I'm like, hey, I think I'm on the shuttle this morning. He goes, the cab driver's like, there's no shuttle leaving this morning. I go, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm riding with you. He goes, we don't have any room for you. (laughs) And then they get in, all of them, the pilots, the flight attendant, the cab driver, get in that cab and drive away. 
So now I'm standing out there with no ride. I go back inside. I'm like, hey, I, I was supposed to be down for a shuttle today. And the guy's like, there's no shuttle today. We don't have a driver. Very rude. He's like, we don't have a driver today. There's no shuttle. And I was like, well, they, the hotel told me that there was a shuttle. And he was like, I don't know why they would have told you that. And I'm like, well, I don't know either. So then I have to call a, a, an Uber, a Lyft. Luckily, there was one driver. And he was like 10 minutes away. And so he finally comes, picks me up, and I just say, dude, I'm in a hurry. I got to get to this airport. This guy's this guy's rolling out. He's like, he's on it. He's feeling it. He's feeling the vibe. I feel like he's like, this is my chance to really be a speed driver. He ran a couple of red lights. I mean, we were soaring. And I made it to the airport by 5.20. My flight board's at 5.35. I'm there at 5.20. I'm like, there's no way I'm making this. I get in. There's no one in line for the security checkout. Like our TSA, no one. It's just me. I go through, uh, and the guy running the TSA apparently knew I had shows. He was like, "How are your shows this weekend?" And I was like, "They were great." And he kept talking to me, and I'm like, "I'm kind of in a hurry right now." I mean, I'm like, and then I get there at like five twenty-five. It took me five minutes to get through security, and then I had like I actually had to wait for a while to get on the plane. So mm-hmm. in the end, it was all fine. But I was freaking out. I did not like how that happened to you, though. That false information and then just no apology. Or Well, just to be clear, the club was very apologetic about it. They had no, they were like, that's never happened before. It was the hotel that did that. And, and that hotel was so nice to me the whole time. It was like a weird miscommunication there at the end. And the only person I'm mad at is that front desk guy in the morning because he was just like, I don't know why they would have told you that. It's like, well, me either, dude. And he also didn't offer to help you out. Well, he's like, I can call you a yellow cab, but I'm like, nah. At this point, I've I've had enough of other people. Yeah, I've had enough of other people setting up my rides. If I didn't think that you had a shuttle for me, I would have set up a lift and would have been ready to go anyway. I would have been at the airport at 4 a.m. Probably. I mean, I like to get places so early that being even a little bit late freaks me out. Well, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about comics liking to have control in their situation. I mean, this is a prime example. It's like you left some really important flying business in the hands of other people, and then they messed up. Whereas if only you had known that there was no shuttle the next day, you would have happily figured that out well before the time you needed to be leaving. Totally. Especially that I'm kind of new to flying now. I'm like, I'm used to just being able to go get in my car and drive home. And so the fact that – now, I love flying. I do not want to go back to driving everywhere. I love flying. Oh, you mean like me? Yeah, I do not want to drive anywhere. Mm. Well, you're flying a little more too, so. <laughs> so. Yeah, but <laughs> – well, We're taking care of you. Yeah. Yeah, you're driving a little more, but you're yeah. also flying a little more too. I'm also working more, so what can I say? Yeah, you wanted to quit comedy last month, and now yeah. you're booked up. You're booked solid. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but the uh, – yeah, we're having a good time. Mm. And so, uh, but the club was very apologetic. <laughs> Everything was fine. Yeah, great weekend. And then, all right, so now on to Brian Bates' least favorite segment of the podcast, Food on the Road. <laughs> I said food on the road. Food on the road. <laughs> Brian, Brian told me last week that he 
uh, usually fast forwards a little bit through the food on the road segment. And uh, I mean, that's fair enough because who really cares about what other people eat? <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's different if it's a picture on Instagram because then you can salivate over it and think about what you want to eat next. But when well, it's just words and well, I'm not mad at Brian about it, but I I will say that the, I actually am. So Brian, you're dead to me. The food on the road uh, bumper, the song is one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, that is a good one. So it's like I want to keep doing the segment just so I can play that little jingle. My least favorite bumper is advice to comics. Yeah, we're working on that. My price I think is, it should be it should be hotter because it's like it's a hotter segment. Yeah, Matt Price is working on us a new advice to comics. Yeah, great. He, he did get us a couple of new bumpers. Uh, he got us a car fights bumper. And a oh, car fights bumper. and uh, what we're listening to music that we're listening to bumper. I love that idea of that segment car fights. Yeah, you fighting in the car. We'll probably have one next week because yeah. we're getting in the car tonight. Hell, maybe tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And oh yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, so food on the road. I went to a place in Erie called Quaker Steak and Lube. It's like a. It feels like so much like a '90s chain where it's like it, it's it's modeled after the Quaker State uh, oil selling thing but it's uh, called quaker steak and lube uh but i had delicious wings in there and tater tots and it was wonderful and uh so i don't really have much else to say all about there it. is to say about that is the the name of the venue yeah it's themed around like race cars a lot of nascar stuff in there i should try to get my shirts if this if this chain were hot right now i'd try to get my shirt sold in there you know, we didn't really disprove Brian's theory that this segment sucks based on just the evidence. I don't think the segment sucks, but uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, we didn't. I'm not. I wasn't trying to disprove Brian. Though. Mm-hmm. Lube is a sexual word, to, right? For to be in a name, yeah, for food. That's what I said on my video. Get that steak and lube it Quaker up. Quaker steak and lube. Mm-hmm. I'm going for the lube. I'm you know going what I mean? for the Quaker. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we do have uh, – I, d- I got an email from a comic and who wanted to ask us to talk about crowd work in the advice to comics section. Are we doing it now? Yeah, so let's get into that even though we have both just agreed that we don't enjoy our advice to comics segment quite as much, but here it goes. You are what you are. I'm going to make them an offer again. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, there it is. And uh, advice to comics, uh, we're going to talk about crowd work. Crowd work. Now, neither of us are crowd work comedians. That's not what we do. We don't go out. But Hannah has worked a lot with Jimmy Pardo, who is a crowd work comic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've worked with a few different crowd work comics on the road. I do have thoughts on it. Um, So, But do you want to begin? I mean, what's his specific question? They just ask us to talk about it, what our thoughts are about it. I mean, this is this is my feeling with crowd work. Now, I consider myself a witty gal. I think I'm pretty quick. I can I can do crowd work, but I work so hard sitting down writing my jokes, booking my shows, working that I don't want to show up to a show and then throw that time away by just talking about whatever's going on in the room or having some you know, hacky conversation about marriage or or couples or whatever. Like, I just feel like it's a waste of time for me personally to do crowd work when I have plenty of material I want to work on and I want to improve myself and my act, my written act. Yes, I agree. This is what I would like to say. I think crowd work is very funny, and I think that if you're very if you're good at it, then it can be very effective for you on the road. Uh, but overall. In your development as a comedian, I don't feel like 
it's that useful. I mean, because you can't do crowd work on TV. You can't, you don't want to do crowd work in any kind of comedy special. I mean, it can be funny, but chances are crowd work is the most funny in the moment. So I think being able to do crowd work is very important so that if someone yells at you in the audience, you can respond to them with a witty yet fun response, hoping to shut them down but not ruin the energy of the room. Because I feel like that's what people do sometimes. They they get so mean about a heckler or even most times people aren't heckling. They're just trying to add to. Whether it's distracting or not, it almost always is. When, I, when someone yells out from the audience, it almost always is a problem. But they don't think they're being a problem. They think they have something funny to say. They think they're adding to the show. So coming at them in a mean way is not going to help your set. But I wouldn't rely on crowd work. I can do it too. I mean, I have a lot of really fun moments. And sometimes I've been in, you know, small clubs with not a lot of a lot and a lot of people in the audience, and crowd work can help move the show along. But I have I had a friend that was working with this headliner this weekend, and he said that he was texting me during the first part of the headliner show, and he was like, this guy is destroying. He's like, his first 10 minutes was all about my set prior to. And then he's like, he's, he's talking to the audience. He's like, you know, real, he's like, he was destroying with crowd work. But then when he started to hit his material, there was a real dip in his set. Because oftentimes an audience loves crowd work so much Mm -hmm. that when they see you do crowd work, they're like, this is amazing. And then you go back to your regular jokes, they don't enjoy it as much because they're like, we want more off-the-cuff stuff. We want more stuff about us in the audience. So I never like to start with crowd work. I only do crowd work as as a um, defense mechanism, uh, either for a heckler or for an audience that's not into the show. The audience is not into the show. I'll try to go out into the audience a little bit and get some responses. Uh, But I don't think that in the long run, crowd work will help you as a comic. It can make you a hero in the room. In the room that night, it can be like, man, this was the most amazing show we've ever seen. But in the end, the thing that's the best is good quality jokes, good delivery, and even if you – I mean it's like there are people that are famous in comedy that work theaters that you would see in a comedy club and think, oh, that person's not that good, depending on the night that you see them. You'll go, I didn't enjoy that as much. And then you'll see some guy who's never going to get a comedy special, who's never going to sell out a theater, do crowd work one night and go, wow, that was amazing. So it's like – What people really appreciate is good joke writing in the end. Good joke writing, good delivery, good likable funniness. Do you agree? I totally agree. And I I agree with sometimes that people open with hot crowd work and you do it for too long. And then your jokes ain't ain't shit. Like, or at least they they can't follow your crowd work. I mean, that's, I've seen that happen to me. (laughs) I've seen it happen to other people because I mean, it's like improv. When improv's at its best, there's nothing quite as funny and as magical as improv because it is in the moment and everybody knows it's in the moment. And to see people being quick and fast and creative and hilarious on the spot and knowing that it's fresh is is there's really nothing quite like it. So when you put that in a stand-up show and then contrast it with your written material that's a little bit more thought out and has more of like a uh, 
you know, scripted kind of vibe. It's always going to feel more scripted if you fall, if usually when you follow crowd work, I mean, there's lots of people that can do it, but yeah, I just feel like if, if you, if you're a writer and you want to write an act and you want to show, you can't showcase crowd work, you know, like Jimmy Pardo, who I work with. Yes, he. I would say he is a crowd work comedian, but he has crowd work jokes. Like he has written jokes for crowd work. So, you know, I know hit all of his leading questions when he goes out to the audience. He's going to say five, one of five things back to them. Now the audience doesn't know what he's going to say because it seems like he's making it up. But he has a very um, mannered way of doing crowd work. And like Ian Bag, I think is a crowd work guy too. So it's like you, your act is molded, your jokes is molded into your crowd work. But I mean, I don't know. I just don't, I think there's not that many people that do that. And I think it, it really, it's like, what do you want to do? I would say most people want to write an act. Right. You know? Yeah. It's like, who was that guy? It was, I, I want to say his name was Chris Carter, but it's been so long. You remember I did the Springfield, Michigan gig with him, and then we did the Maryville, Indiana. Mary, Maryville, Indiana. Was that the host? No, he was the headliner. It's like, a, he's probably a 50 year old black guy. Oh, I do remember him. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did crowd work. Yeah. He was very funny. He destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but it's like, you know, and he had that too. He had pre written. You know, and maybe they weren't written. Maybe it was developed over time. Who knows? But he had pre-written responses. Jeff Ross, I watched him do it. Uh, where it's like, it's still amazing. Like you're saying about Jimmy Pardo, it's still amazing because they're able to recall all these different jokes and pull them out and throw them at people at appropriate times. But yeah, I mean, if you if you think you're just going to go up on stage and just go, you know, I'm just going to wing it tonight, right? Then it's well, it's not going to go well. Well, I won't say who. But I did work with a great headliner uh, one weekend, and he was doing a show that was mostly crowd work. But I'm a fan of his because he's great at writing jokes. But on this particular run, he chose to do all crowd work. And I was not like that was not his best work. And I don't know what was going on with him, why he was making this choice. But I don't feel like the audience got the best of this particular comedian. I don't feel like I got the best of this particular comedian. I'm sure he knows that this isn't because he literally didn't have built in jokes. He just talked to the audience for right. over an hour. And that's not as fun. I, I mean, think, and, and he's a smart, funny, witty person. Well, but it, it, I mean, after a while, you're like, you know, you can't, it can't all be fire. I think I know who you're talking about. I am also a fan. And I don't. I didn't see any of those shows, uh, but I think that um, I, I, you got to wonder if maybe he's not just trying something different, if he's not just... Uh, well, and that's the thing. is like he's been in it for a long time. It may be a creative choice for him to take more risks by having nothing written. You know, um, I don't know. Who knows? And and that's the thing. It's like, what are you challenging yourself to do? What yeah. What is it that's pushing your buttons creatively? Do you need to go out on stage with no script? Then do it, you know? But it's like, that's not always going to be the funnest show. Right. And I think, you know, it's like Nick Saban says, the uh, coach of the University of Alabama. He says, trust the process and the results will follow, right? So often I think, you know, I'll try to tell, I mean, people have really tried to make them, uh, uh, make this clean comedy, at, at least, I don't know, in Nashville, I've seen it a little bit, but where they try to make a clean comedy thing out to be some kind of joke, like every room is demanding that you be clean. And like now dirty comedy is this great underground thing. And it's just, just not a reality. I mean, dirty comedy still reigns supreme, but 
but there's been such a lack of clean comedy for a while that people are desiring it more. More people are saying, yes, we'd like to see clean stuff. In my shows that I do, I ask people to be relatively clean because I think we're providing something that's a little different. But, you know, I think that a lot of times people will say, well, I want to be dirty and, you know, uh, Bill Burr is dirty and he's very successful. And it's like, yeah, but, you you know, I would say you have to look at his process, see where he's come from, what he's done, what are the steps that he's taken. And with any comic that you that you know that's famous – how did they start? I mean, how did cuz you need to <clears throat> you need to make a living to get yourself to a level to to you know, to become famous, I guess. So you want to make a living all along the way. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to work at Home Depot while trying to become famous. Uh, I think that you want to work as a comedian while trying to get to the next level as a comedian, you know? Yeah, and we've said this before because we probably talk about clean comedy a lot, but it's a lot easier to dirty up a clean joke than it is to clean up a dirty joke. So if you start clean and you want to get a little edgier, you could probably throw in just a couple F-bombs and you're there. And I've made a lot of money off corporate shows where they go – uh, we need you to be clean. We need you to be squeaky clean. Yeah, and you can literally do whatever you want. But, I mean, as a female comedian from Canada trying to work in the Midwest and the Southeast or just, quite frankly, anywhere I can get work, I can't tell you nine times out of ten they want me to work PG-13. I had to work PG-13 for Arsenio. Arsenio is not a clean comedian, but he wanted a clean comedian to preface him, you know, and that's common. Right. A lot of the times it's a, it's a, you know, it's an X rated comedian, but they don't want an X rated person to open for them because it, it takes away their pop. And just imagine this, imagine this for a second. Your dream is to be a dirty comedian, right? You're like, I want to be this dirty comedian, but everywhere you go, everybody's like, be clean, be clean, be clean, be clean. So you go, all right, you know what? I'm going to learn how to be a clean comedian. So you work, you're working clean, you figured it out, you're being funny as a clean comedian, and then there comes the day where you are the headliner of the show, and they say, hey, you're the headliner, say whatever you want. Now, your dream has come true, you've made it, you're like, yes, I can do it, I can say whatever I want to say now, and... um and, and so it's like you've only worked your craft and you've only yeah. figured out how to write things in a new way. And I will say I had some people come to my show. I have people come to my show all the time and tell me that they appreciate me being not not so dirty because I'm not squeaky clean. But I have people tell me that they appreciate me not cussing so much. They appreciate the fact that they can actually see comedy that's not so filthy. Now, on the other hand, there are people that want that. I had I had like a, bars. I did a squeaky clean show one time at Zany's, and one guy was like, one guy said to me, he goes, "Where was all the cussing at, man? There wasn't no cussing in this show." So it's like occasionally you'll get that too, but. I had someone come up to me and they say, you know, I saw you open for one of the comics that I knew from Last Comic Standing. And they said, uh, we really enjoyed your show and that's why we came back here. They said, that comic that was on Last Comic Standing, they said, we saw them and we enjoyed their comedy on the show because they were clean. But when we came to Zany's to see them, they were really dirty. They didn't say he wasn't funny. They said it was really dirty and they were like, we're just not into that. You know, so I don't right. know. Right. And I, I, mean, I want to say this too. Dusty's a clean comedian. I'm not a clean comedian. I can work clean, 
But there's certain things I like to say. You know, I talk about relationships. I talk about sex. I talk about, you know, my sexuality. I talk about being married. So uh, intrinsically, there's going to be some um, higher than PG-13 content. And I enjoy that. And I think that that's fun. And when it's done well, I wonder actually if Gary Goleman has addressed clean comedy at all. Because I remember when I was working with him, because I love Gary Goleman and I tried to pick his brain as much as I could. I worked with Gary in December before his advice to comics on Twitter came out. But he, he, he kept saying intellectually lazy. Like he would criticize jokes or comedians uh, and he would use the term intellectually lazy. Right. And I feel like a lot of dirty comedy is intellectually lazy. You can write a good dirty joke and you can, you can parse uh, swear words or cuss words uh, in a way that they are used well and to the highest extent. But I feel like a lot of times dirty comedy is just being filthy and it's – Nothing but shock and being filthy. Right. Because Gary, I've listened to his albums. I've listened to a lot of his work. I watched his whole hour when he was at Zany's. None of his stuff would would be considered dirty. A lot of it is edgy and subversive. And when he uses an F word or something salacious, it is always – Pointed, And you can tell there's a real reason he used the F word here. And the reason the F word was advantageous in that moment is because everything that preceded it, there was no swear words. There was no, no other cuss words that dilute the power of that one F word. Save the impact. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you have a word like that in a set, I mean, it is the save the impact. So that it's like, boom, when you hit the F bomb, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's a reason for it. You weren't yeah. like, I'm going to the effing store and I'm going to buy some effing candy bars. And then when I leave, I'm going to tell them to F off. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's too many. Yeah, because sometimes a swear word really illustrates the the passion behind what you're saying or the or the intent. And sometimes, you know, you swear in real life and that's the right word to use. And that's and that's what you need to get across your, your point. I have a joke about seeing my grandma's boobs. And uh, I'll say, I'll say, you know, those are the first boobs I ever saw. Uh, it kind of changes things for you, kind of makes you more of an ass man, right? And that's the first time that I've said any kind of cuss word in the whole show. And the, I, usually it gets an applause because people are like, they, they like it. Plus, I mean, it's a good joke. Let's be honest. That's a good joke. But also it's like there's some impact in there. Saying ass when you haven't said any cuss words the whole show. Absolutely. It's like, boom, I used to have this joke about Papa Murphy's where I did drop the F-bomb. And it was hilarious. My friend that uh, she she uh, Brandy who owns Theater Ninety Nine uh, always calls me Papa Murphy, even to this day. Even though that joke was like ten years ago, because it was a fun joke, you know. I won't tell it right now, but and then I have I have a few dirty jokes. I have a joke about you know picking up women at a yard sale. I love that joke. Can you say it? I can't say it. Come no, on, I can't say it. We'll do it later. It's it's my favorite joke of Dusty. Yeah, but it's like it's it's dirty, you know. It's so I, dirty, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's I like funny. doing it. And actually, I did the show in Dayton, Ohio, and I was doing that joke all weekend. And I had people even years later trying to get me to come back to Dayton, and they would they would reference that joke. And uh, but you know, in some situations, you got to get dirty and you got to get uh, crowd work. You remember when you were at uh, Newport News, that one show? Yes, there was people. They weren't laughing at any of our jokes. I went up and I bombed. And it was my first time headlining there. And I'm like, I didn't drive all the way out here to bomb as a headliner. And then these people in the audience, they were like, it was like a bachelorette party, but they were like old and the husband was there. And they had like cookies shaped like a penis and shaped like a butt. Like they were just not responding to anything. And then once Dusty dove into the crowd, mixed it up, did crowd work. Sometimes you have to break open the room and you got to, and there's different ways to do it. 
And sometimes if your last resort is crowd work and getting dirty, yes. then that's what's happened. Just get in there. Yeah. start making jokes about them, making fun of their cookies, making fun of them. Yeah. And then and then I would pepper in a joke. Actually, the same thing with – and once I would, I would do a little bit of crowd work, then I would throw in a joke. They couldn't tell if that joke was crowd work or if that was a joke I, I wrote. So I would do that throughout the show. Also, what I did in Colorado Springs, I did a uh, place called the Dab Lounge. I had a lot of fun there, but Dab – Dab lounge is weed. People are doing dabs. Drugs. Drugs. They're plugging uh, bongs into the electrical outlets in the wall so that they can get the dab hot enough to smoke because um, they have to melt this plastic or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, we all know what dabs are. Okay. And uh, not everyone. <laughs> and uh, so these people were so high and stoned that I was like, this is going to be terrible. And um, But I would do a little crowd work about the room. Then pepper in a joke, little crowd work, pepper in a joke. And that way it kept it fun. I wasn't totally relying on crowd work, but I also wasn't just up there doing my act. Sometimes people want to see a bit of realness in you. So they want to know you're more than your act. Right. And sometimes your jokes just, they're not going to feel your jokes and you need to be versatile in your, in your repertoire of comedic skills. And crowd work is about that. And and mixing up the room, commenting on the room, commenting on the previous stand-ups. I mean, doing whatever you can to connect with them is really what you're looking for, right? Yes. All right. I but, chugged but, but a little... But abandoning your integrity right off the bat, if you're a clean comedian, then they don't laugh at your first three jokes, and then diving into dirty work is yes. not what we're suggesting. I chugged a bit of water before we started doing this. Yeah. So I'm going to get into our next thing, which is... Um, um, Albums. Things that we've been listening to. Okay. We have a, a bumper for that. We'll be riding wild All right. And now you you've been listening to the comedy albums. My friend Andy Ryder sent us some comedy albums. I got somebody somebody else sent me one. I forget who it is. I didn't look it up before, but they sent us a few comedy albums, and you listened to them. So give us okay. just give us a little feedback on. Yeah. Okay. So I checked out um, Maria Bamford's "Ask Me About My New God," and I oh man, you know, listening to her is really cool because I've never you know you don't hear anything like what she does. I mean, she has so many skills. She does incredible voices. She has an incredible use of the English language. Her word choice is very diverse and expansive. Um, she, I don't know if you can hear Dusty peeing because <laughs> I can hear him in my headphones. And she also has a great, capability of in terms of the content that she does on stage she can go from you know observational to extremely personal and vulnerable i mean she she doesn't just talk about one thing she can talk about many things and she is very funny and very um unique and so ask me about my god my new god was really really cool to listen to and and it and it and you kind of just think like like, how did she even write these jokes? Like, you know, does she, like, I wonder about her because her word choice is so specific. Um, I'm like, does she have to rehearse her lines or does she just have this really great vocabulary vocabulary that comes naturally out of her? So that's sort of what I wonder about her. So I really enjoyed that and I would highly recommend it, especially for people that are really seeking um, originality in their work. 
um, to see that it can be done. Um, the other comedian that I listened to and I spoke about him earlier was Gary Goldman. Now I have been a big fan of Gary Goldman's since I started comedy and I saw this beautiful six foot six guy at the comedy cellar and he was deep and poetic and hilarious. And I thought, who is this man? And he's Gary Goldman. And I proceeded to follow him for several years on social media. He never posted anything. And now that I'm doing a social media hiatus, he's posting all the time. So <laughs> ironic. Um, but Gary Goldman, I listened to his album um, In This Economy and oh, it just made me fall in love with him all over again. Oh, yeah. It made me fall in love with Gary all over. I mean, Gary, I mean, while Louis C.K. was whipping it out. On stage, Gary Gullman is just like being great. And I, I don't know why uh, he, more people don't know about him. I mean, I actually don't know how many people know about him. But, man, he's a good comedian. His word choice is incredible. His He's really great. He, to he me, attacks content. To me, if you want, I mean, I, I, I know there's better, newer stuff out there. But the thing that I first heard from Gary Gullman was a, was a bit called Grapes of Wrath or Grapefruits of Wrath. And it's a bit all about grapes. And it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I think Gary Goldman has a lot of calling cards. Like his abbreviations bit um, was really big a couple of years ago. Um, I remember I listened to something that he did about the Disc Man that I really loved. But you know, listening to his album, just even this one album in this economy, um, I mean, his whole repertoire is really impressive, and it's also yeah. very cohesive. Like he sort of did the same thing that I noticed with Kyle. Kyle Kinane the other week was like he was really able to seemingly effortlessly weave everything together and there was a lot of callbacks and there was a lot of like conclusion that ties it all together in the end and I feel like Gary Goldman does that really really well or at least did this really well in this album so especially I think Gary Goldman in this economy is a good study on what a good album is because it's got a beginning and an end you really feel like you know this person um, even though a lot of his jokes are more observational rather than personal on this album, but through his storytelling and and joke telling, you you get who he is, you get his perspective, you get his struggles, you get his his quirks. And, yes. Yeah. So like the podcast, share the podcast. It's called the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Well, are you wrapping up we're, now. We're huh? on we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Uh, it's on my website dustyslay.com. Give us a rating. Give us a five star rating and some comments. Uh, check Hannah Hogan out at Miss Hannah Hogan uh, at Miss Hannah Hogan on Twitter, Instagram, uh, her Facebook page, Hannah Hogan. I am at Dusty Slay on everything. Go to my YouTube, go to my Instagram, subscribe to those because you'll really like those. I got some fun stuff coming up. Yeah, and if you have any uh, questions or stories on the road, let us know. If you have questions about stand up, if you have stories about being a stand up, yeah. send them to us. Send us stories that you might like to read. I mean, the, we, we get those, we read them, we like it. Send if you us- have albums, we should check out, unless it's your own. We don't want to, come on, this isn't. Uh, even if it's your own, we'll, we may check it out. I'm not going to check it out, Dusty. I right? may check it out. I and, will not check it out. And um, I've been taking, I mean, so look for me on different radio stations throughout the country i did like 24 or 25 radio calls in the last two days and i'm gonna do more tomorrow and some more next week so i am all over the radio all over the country right now look for me i'm having a lot of fun doing it um yeah you got like a scratchy voice from all the weird radio yeah if you hear any of that share it you know do share any of our stuff that you think is funny we don't mind sharing it and we'd love for it to get out there. But, you know, I don't want you to do anything 
just because you're like, oh, they ask us to share it. I only want you to share things that you enjoy, but when you do enjoy something, please let other people know so that they can enjoy it too. I'll be yeah, at the Grand Old Opry this weekend. And we don't mind criticism, but I will say, Brian Bates, your comment on Food on the Road, that hurt us. Yeah, it hurt us deeply. Come on, Brian. Cut us deep. Come on. Come on. But no. We Come do, on, nah. We do enjoy, I, honestly, I enjoy anything. I enjoy private criticism. Uh, I don't want you to publicly criticize. I don't enjoy criticism at all. It wounds me. I'm very fragile. But, you know, anything that you have to say is, uh, it helps us improve. Something that you'd like us to talk about. Something you'd like us to get into. If you have a specific conspiracy that you'd love us to talk about, we would. Because I like conspiracies, but I, I don't know. I mean, I I, uh, I don't know how much people are enjoying them. Well, also, you kind of reached the end of YouTube. You finished YouTube. Yeah, but so. there's so many conspiracies to talk about. I mean, you know, maybe I'll do, uh, there's, you know, hollow earth theory out there there's uh creepiness about antarctica out there i mean it's very fun stuff yeah. um, but you know a lot of people think that thrilling a lot of people think the nazis escaped to antarctica <laughs> and that's where they went in the end wow and, that explains so much well that's why i do less conspiracies because you know hannah is uh, so sarcastic about them that you can't you can't really have a good time with it well I just I didn't want to say anything because I felt like it was going to be sarcastic and I didn't want to prove yeah, your point right. Exactly, exactly. All right, Dusty. So we're about to go to Tuscaloosa. So go to you know if you want to get some information on that show. Actually, you know what? I'll pull that up right now. I can pull that. I got my phone over here. I can figure out where we're at because it's uh, it's stupid that I don't know. It's um, we are at the Druid City Brewing Company. <laughs> Druid, eh? In uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah, and. Uh, Come to come see that show. It's going to be fun. If you're in the area, come check us out. All right. That's it. I'm Dusty Slay. I'm Hannah Hogan. And we're having, having a, a good, good time. time.